0: lovely sunny morning uh, for those who are are uh, listening in online uh, we're glad that you uh, we're glad that you found iTunes and you have a chance to uh, listen in and uh, not miss out on this morning and so uh, just want we're gonna jump right in um, have you ever maybe maybe this has been something that you've had to say about somebody around you maybe it's something that's said about you or you 've heard someone else have you ever heard the phrase please don 't encourage him <laughs> please don't please don't encourage her you know it's uh uh, we have it in my house. My kids at the, uh, at the dinner table, they uh, stand on their chairs and they do sometimes inappropriate dance moves for the dinner table and we're like, uh, or, you know, they start bringing out the potty humor and my wife just, she just laughs at God. I'm just like, come on, Beth, please don't encourage our children. You know, they're never going to get dates if they learn to do this and, you know, go out with their, with boyfriends or girlfriends, you know, they just whatever. Please don't encourage them. Um, my nephews, I've got a couple nephews who are just crazy. They do stunts all over the place, and they videotape it, and it's stuff like this. And then they show us the videos, right? And we're like, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. And their mom's like, please stop encouraging them. I don't want them to die, right? And, and I'm like, okay, okay. You know, maybe for you, it's like your husband embarrasses you in public, and everybody's laughing, and you're like, please, please don't encourage him. So Yes, we, the laughter says it all, right? So we know, who, we know who you are, but, um, but have you ever been in a place where you really needed some encouragement? Like, you know, it's like you feel like, man, I could really use like something to pick me up today. You ever had a bad day? You know, you ever had a, a bunch of bad days in a row, like a bad week? Maybe maybe a bad month? You know, maybe you're at your wits end with your teenagers. Maybe parenting is like, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, you know, work has just been whatever. Or that one good thing in your life that you're holding on to all of a sudden is like, Psharp. you're like, ugh. I don't even need a show of hands because I know that every single one of us has been in that place. You've been discouraged. We all have. Uh, encouragement is something that we all crave. Every single person on the planet craves it and needs it. And so we've all experienced it. But, but my question is more so this this morning. Since we all need it, do you notice the people around you who are in desperate need of encouragement? Do you notice the discouraged people around you? And some of you would like, yeah, of course they do. They complain all the time. You know, I, I, I know who they are. And, and, and you know, subtly, in your, in your mind, you have this, this thought. You don't think it this way, but it's that thought of, oh, please don't encourage him. You know, please don't encourage her. The enemy's voice is, is there. And, and we, we actually, we kind of treat it, we kind of answer that thought by, you know, different things. Like, maybe for you, it's like, there comes sister complains a lot. You're like, oh, I've got to avoid, you know, too much wine's bad for my health, right? So, pastor joke, W-H-I-N-E, too much wine, right? Anyways, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to them. Or maybe, you know, they start complaining. And you're like, ugh, I don't want to, you know what? I might as well just go right down there with them. And you start complaining. You know, all oh, the liberals. Oh, don't even get me started. And you just, like, you can spend half an hour just complaining with them. Or maybe you're, like, listening to them complain about where life is. And instead of, instead of trying to encourage them, all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I just wish they would get done complaining so I would have my turn to tell them how bad my life has been lately. Anybody been there? We all have. We all have. You know, in the... Uh, Mother's Day this weekend, thought about that. You know, moms, for me, my mom's been one of my greatest encouragements all throughout my life, and maybe for you as well. You know, maybe, maybe she was the one there at your first steps, and, you know, your first steps don't happen without mom or dad. She's like, yeah, come on, you got this, you got this, you got this, boom, okay, you got this, you got this, you got this, right, encouraging you to take first steps, and all kinds of firsts, encouraging, encouraging you through those arms reaching out and say, hey, we, we got this. And for some, your mom still is your greatest encouragement. Uh, the last week, there was a lady here. I'm, I shouldn't really guess her age, but she's 50 plus. And she said, you know, she said, I can't believe it. I'm this, I'm this age, and yet I still need my mom. I thought, you know, that's very true. Moms are, you know, the encouragement all the time. And for some of you, that's why this is difficult. Because for mothers, Henry, shh, be quiet back there. You know, they're all looking at you. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not Henry. <laughs> they, uh, they, uh. You know, your mom was your greatest encouragement, and she's not here now. And and so for others, it's it's this thought of like, who's gonna who's gonna encourage me now? Where does that encouragement come from now? Oh, the Bible's full of accounts of encouragement, and uh, they're great reminders for us. And as you look, you know, if you look for the word encouragement in the Greek and Hebrew, you're not going to find that word uh, because there's not one just one word that defines it. But there's all kinds of them throughout, and so you you find these these meanings of of refreshing. Uh, mutual rest, this coming alongside someone else, strengthening somebody, comforting somebody, admonishing someone, giving grace to someone, this whole idea of encouragement. So why are we talking about it this morning? A couple of thoughts. Number one, encouragement's powerful. If you're writing down notes, you can jot them down on your phone. You may want to remember these encouragement is powerful. In Exodus 17, you can find your way there on, in, in your Bible if you'd like, or you can follow along on the screen. In Exodus 17, the Old Testament's the story, the history of the nation of Israel and, and how God chose them out of all other nations and said, you're going to be my people and we're going to do life together so I can bring a savior to the planet. And, and they experienced some amazing, amazing things as a result. They saw the power of God uh, just at work in their lives. And, and uh, in Exodus, Exodus is the story of them leaving Egypt. They lived a lifetime of slavery. And, you know, we don't really, we don't get slavery. We, we just don't. We, we can read about, you know, slavery that was recent, you know, especially stuff that happened down south. And, you know, we can, we can, uh, we can sort of wrap our minds around slavery. We can watch movies of it, but we, we don't experience it. We don't live every day with the sounds and the smells and the, and the pain of slavery. We, we just don't experience that here on a day-to-day basis. But if you could, if you could picture your life living every single day in in slavery working you know under the hot sun with the whip at your back and and no payment very little food doing that every day every day not just for your lifetime but for generations you know 400 years that's all they knew and here's a generation of people where Moses all of a sudden God says to Moses Moses time go in you and I were getting them out of slavery and they go into Egypt And it's those famous stories. If you've been to Sunday school, you know the ten plagues. And and then as they left Egypt, they're just a whole nation together leaving slavery and going out. and, And then the Red Sea parting and them literally walking on dry ground across. Like, I don't know that we can imagine fully what that feels like. But it would have been incredible. And then once they're on the other side, they're like, we are officially free from slavery. The life we knew, the life we hated, we no longer have. If it was me, if it was you, maybe you'd you'd join me in saying, "Man, I would, I would have no bad days after that." You know, my life should—I'll be super thankful for what God has done in my life after that, and be like, "Whatever," celebrating God for the rest of my life. We kind of think that if I saw that, I would. But with the children of Israel, they still had bad days, and it didn't take very long. They were only through the Red Sea a little, a little ways, and all of a sudden they're like, "Moses, we're hungry, we're thirsty." Ugh, I just want to go back. No, forget it. I don't even. I just want to die. It's kind of like parenting, right? I've heard. All, I've heard my kids say all those things. Here's Moses though, eighty years old, parenting a couple hundred thousand kids, and they're all wandering through, and they're they're complaining every day, you know. And, and they'd complain, "We're hungry," and he would he'd pray for them, and God would send bread in the morning, just drop bread on the ground for them. And they, all they had to do was pick it up every day. How simple is grocery shopping when you just step out there? Oh, yeah, there it is, right? That's coming again pretty soon. Amazon will take care of that for you. You know, and then, and then you, go, you go on the other side. They're like, at nighttime, it's like, we're sick of bread. He's like, all right, I'll send meat. Here's quail. Just, they're right there for you. And they're like, oh, we're thirsty. And Moses is like, God, what do I do? There's no water. He's like, just hit that rock and water will come out. And they hit the rock and water comes out. And they're like, whoa, this is amazing. Well, Moses, it says in Exodus chapter 17, he's had these complain fests with, these, with all these people. And uh, he, he names the place after this moment. And, and maybe you've done the same thing. This place, you know, maintained that name. Uh, but I remember last year, I took our kids on this 4,600-kilometer trip out east. You know, Beth, myself, four children. It was awesome, and I thought, you know, as we're going, this is going to be a little bit difficult, because even from here, from, like, coming to church in the morning, there's a battle going on. Like, it didn't take long for two little boys and, and you know, a seat in between to just fight over something. I thought there's going to be fights all the way along the way, but, you know, we, it was an awesome trip except for one place. There was this one place, you know where the Hopewell rocks are, like those big famous rocks that, you know, the tides go way up and high and down, but we stayed there for a couple days, but on the day that we arrived there, we were driving in, and I just had it. Like they were like fighting, and they had pushed me to my limit. And we're driving down this hill that curves around a bend and comes up. And halfway down, I hear them fighting. I'm just like, I turn around, I give them like the, well, I'll do it this way. I'm like, oh, you guys stop it already? And the link looks at me like, like he lost it. Dad's lost it. We're all gonna die, right? And and he looks at me, he's like, mm, and then and then they all look at each other. I'm like, okay, okay, it's out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. And like they're all like in tears, and Beth's got to console them, and we go, and it's it's all good, but. Doesn't it, doesn't it happen that, that we're in that place for a number of days and every day we have to go past that place to go to town and every day we go past, like, they start snickering in the back. This is a place right here. This is where dad lost it, right? Right here, like, oh, you know, five times having to pass the same place. This is, where, this is where dad lost it. This is kind of what happened with Moses and the children of Israel. He names the place where this happens. It's like they, they, kind of, they have this reminder all the time. Here's what it says, Exodus 17. You've had lots of time to get there. You can follow along. Verse 7. Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of the Lord argued with Moses, and they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? And I think often, maybe you've been a Jesus follower for a long time, maybe you're not a Jesus follower because of that question, <laughs> is, is God with us or not? You face difficult stuff, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, is God with us here or not? And it can be tough to know sometimes whether it feels like you know God is with me or or not, and Moses could have just lost it on them at that point and said, "You know what? I'm sick of all the complaining. That's it. We're turning this thing around. We're going straight back to Egypt." But he didn't. He did something else. And the next part of the story reminds me of an old story I shared last night. I can't believe there was people who hadn't heard it, but I'll share it again this morning. There's an old sea captain, and he was tri- sailing out on the sea. And one day, his first mate runs onto the deck and says, "Captain, captain, there's a battleship off the starboard side. What do we do?" He's like, "Get my red shirt." And so he gives them the red shirt, the captain puts it on, let's go to war, and they go and they sink the battleship. Well, the next day, the first mate runs on deck, he says, Captain, there's two, two battleships off the port side. What do we do? He's like, Get my red shirt. God's the red shirt, puts it on, they go to war, they sink both battleships. He says to his first mate sitting on the deck that night, He says, Captain, you got to tell me, what's up with this red shirt? He says, Well, when we're out there fighting, he says, If I get hit, the blood's just going to mingle with my red shirt. No one's going to know that I've been hit, and they'll keep on fighting strong. He's like, Oh, that's genius. The next day, he runs out first thing in the morning. Captain, there's 10 ships surrounding us. They're going to sink us. You want me to get your red shirt? He's like, no, first mate, go get me my brown pants. (laughs) Wow. So if you remember that later, remember that that's tied to this. Verse 8, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, here's 80 year old Moses, choose some men, you go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. It kind of sounds like Moses saying, hey, I'm 80 years old, I'm too old to go fight. You guys go fight, this is your battle now. I got you out of Egypt, you do the rest. But he does, and he says this tomorrow, I'll stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Moses says to him, I might not be able to wield a sword anymore, I may not be able to fight with you guys in the battle but I'm going to be in the battle with you. I'm just going to be in the battle at the top of the hill. He says, I'm going to be cheering you on, but it's better than that. He says, God's going to be with you. And you know, they, he, says, he, says, he says, I'm going to be holding the staff of God. You know, that staff of God meant something to those people. It was a visual reminder that God was with them. You know why? Because when they had gone to uh, the, the Red Sea and they're like, oh, we're all going to die. Moses touches the water with that staff and God moves on their behalf. Then when they're like, we need water, he touches that rock with his staff, and God puts water out. And so they knew that when that that staff was there, there was a visual reminder for them that God was with them. It's like Moses was saying, yeah, it's a battle. Yeah, it's going to be scary, but I'll be at the top of the hill, and I'll be holding the staff of God. So you know, as you look, you know God is with you. So in verse 10, Joshua did what Moses commanded, and he fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand for a rest, the Amalekites would gain the advantage. And you know what the thought is? It's not that the story doesn't end with God came in and swooped through and did did a massive miracle. It didn't happen like that. What happened is, it's like that red shirt. As long as Moses was holding up the staff and they could see the staff, and they could see, okay, God is for us. This battle is scary, but God's with us. They would fight, and they would, be, they would, be, uh, they would win. And every time it came down, they would begin to lose, and they needed uh, some encouragement. Well, you know, Moses, Moses. He was, he was 80. He couldn't keep his arms up there the whole time. Even the greatest encouragers need encouragement. And for many of you, that's the encouragement you need, just to know that someone's holding up the staff for you saying, Hey, God is with you. I know you're going through tough stuff right now, but you're not alone. God is with you. I know you're looking down because everything's depressing, but would you just look up again? And it's the people around who help to say, hey, get your eyes up on, on him. But even the greatest encouragers need encouragement sometimes. John Ortberg told the story of a preacher who was leaving his church, and it was a farewell dinner. And so at the farewell dinner, they are all sad that he's leaving, and he goes up to one of the, you know, the pillars of the church, and he, he tries to encourage her. And he says, uh, he says to her this, he says, don't be sad. He's like, the next preacher might even be better than me. And she replies and says, that's what they told us last time, and it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> you know, that preacher, he himself needed some encouragement after that. Well, Moses, being a great encourager for the people, holding up the staff, was in a place where he needed encouragement as well. So it says, verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, and they held up his hands for him. You know, they had the people around to say, we're going to hold up your hands, Moses. We're going to encourage you, and in the same way, encourage so many others. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Powerful story. Powerful story of seeing God at work, but it wasn't this miraculous thing. It was the power of encouragement of someone standing there saying, hey, God's with you. Keep on fighting. Keep on going. He's with you, and this morning of the truth is for you. He's with you. Keep on going. He's with you. Get your eyes on, on him. I love this last verse. Just to toss it in there, verse 14. It says this, and you know, people wonder, how is the Bible written? Why was the Bible written? Here, Here's one of the things. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses and said, hey, write down this event on a scroll. Uh, as a permanent reminder, and read it aloud to Joshua, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You know, God's like, hey, you just witnessed something amazing. Just write it down. So Moses, inspired by the victory, writes it down as a permanent reminder. Why? <laughs> so that we'd have the chance to read and to understand and to learn about keeping our trust in him. So that every generation would have those people would say, hey, remember, remember when Moses stood on the hill? I'm going to stand on the hill for you. I'm going to be the one to help you say, get your eyes Get your eyes on Jesus. You know, there's an amazing power and encouragement. Um, when I think about it, I always think of sports analogies. Some of you here are like, oh, sports analogies. I don't watch sports. I don't get, you should watch sports because then you would get more of my sermons. <laughs> there's these powerful things. Like in the, in the NHL, they say there's the home ice advantage where the teams, you know, last night Winnipeg playing with, with five guys, six guys on the ice for them. And, you know, 50,000 people in the stadium and on the streets outside waving white towels. We're, we're here for you. Go, go, go. You know, and they win. They win the game. There's this powerful thought and encouragement. There's a movie called Facing the Giants. It's a, you know, if you, we don't have time to show the clip, but if you just Google Facing the Giants speech, you see this scene where this coach gets down with his quarterback and says, listen, I need you. I, he says, I, I think you can do more than you think you can. And he puts a 160 pound guy in his back and he's, he gets him to crawl on his hands and his feet across the field blindfolded. And he says, listen, you know what? You just got to give me your very best. And he thinks he's going to go halfway across the field. And that's the best that he could do. Well, as he goes, his coach is just cheering his arm in his ear. Give me, just give me your best. Just give me a few more steps. Just you got one more step. Yeah, you got a few more. You got a few more. He says, when it finally gets to the end and he drops of exhaustion, he pulls off his blindfold and he's in the end zone. Twice as far as he would have thought that he could go. Why? Because there's incredible power in encouragement. There's power in it. And the second thought is this. Encouragement's a choice. Encouragement's a choice. You know, this quote, I love it. Be an encourager. The world already has enough critics. It's so easy to be the critic. It's I, in my life, I, it's, I see that all the time. It's so easy to pick out the negative things and then to focus on that and to mention that, hey, you did good, but you really could work on this, 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 and this, and this. He says, you know, be an encourager. The world has enough critics. For some, maybe you know people like this. They just seem like they get it naturally. There's lots of natural critics, but there's, every once in a while you find that natural encourager. It's like that person you're like, wow. Every, I love talking to them because they just make me feel better all the time. You have anybody like that? If you know John Stegenga, you have somebody like that. John Stegenga is like this guy. He is like, every time you talk to him, he's just like, he's just encouraging you, you know. If if he's like, how are you today, John? And he's got always some witty remark. If I was any better, I'd be twins, you know, or like it's like the best, the best day, whatever. And so John will like he encourages no matter what he's doing. Like he'll be encouraging, he'll be leading worship here, sometimes louder than the guys on stage. You know, he's just like, Yeah, let's celebrate God. And you're around him, like, yeah, let's. Yeah, He's just this uh, amazing guy that way. Um, this, uh, this week, he actually called me, and he, we were playing phone tag, and he left a message on my phone and said, Hey, Mark, uh, it's John. Has anyone told you yet today that you're amazing? Call me back. Do you know what? That works. If you're in sales... I'm telling tell you, you want to get a call back, you just leave one of those on there. I, I, I was going to call him right back, but I, I had to listen to it 10 times first and make it my ringtone. Because it never happens, right? How often does that happen? Hey, has anyone told you yet that you're amazing? You know, that's it's his thought. But when I talk to John, John's not born that way. He's told me many times, I choose just to wake up every day and see if there's somebody in my life that I could encourage. I'm like, what, a, what an awesome, awesome quality. Well, there's a guy in the New Testament who, uh, who had similar things said about him. He's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. His name's, uh, just maybe you guys have heard of him. His name's Joe. Have you heard of Joe in the New Testament? Okay, uh, that's his short form. His name's Yosis. Anybody heard of Yosis? He's uh, the cousin of John Mark. Levite from Cyprus. Bob, you know it? No? You you haven't heard of Yosis, none of you. It's interesting because Yosis actually went by his nickname more than by his real name in the Bible. And nicknames, are, some nicknames don't mean anything. Like my kids, my kids' names are Reese, Lincoln, Maddox, and Finley. But for some reason, we rarely use those names around our house. My wife has given them all nicknames called the Gern, Boberson, um, Felfer Beast, and uh, Maddie. Those are the names that they, they get called all the time. And I'm like, they don't really mean anything. I don't even know how we got them, but... Some nicknames happen because of an event. Some are because of an accomplishment or a trait. There's people here this morning. You know, Fuzz. Fuzz is here somewhere. Robobob is here somewhere. Sly. Sly Stone. Nitro. If you've met Nitro, uh, you, you, it seems weird to call them by their, uh, the, by their real name sometimes. Uh, because you just had those names all the time. When I was a kid, I always wanted a cool nickname. I thought it would be great like if kids would call me like Ace or Magnum or something like that. You know, uh, and I always wanted... I was like, I, but you can't give yourself a nickname, right? You can't. Like, nicknames just happen. Well, I took a tour um, a number of years ago out west with a, with a team of students, and we'd go to high schools all over the place putting on theatrical performances, encouraging them to make uh, positive decisions. And uh, early on in the year, our team had been playing cards together, and, and I wasn't really a good card player. And, and I had a partner, and he didn't like it that I was his partner. And we're playing, and all of a sudden he gets so frustrated because I just made a really bad move. He's like, oh, you wee! Knock and I was like, they're like, What's a weenock? And I'm like, nobody knows what a weenock is, but it's stuck. So, for the rest of the next 10 months, everywhere we went, they'd be like, Hey, weenock, can you plug that cord in? Hey, weenock, can you grab that for me? And the kids at school would be like, What's a weenock? And for the first month, they'd be like, Oh, it was this card game thing. And then finally, I just gave up, right? I was stuck with weenock for 10 months. And then I came home. Do not call me that, but others, but uh, But others have given me nicknames as well. There's a friend of mine who calls me number two. And it's not because of what you think. It's because he thinks he's number one. So he calls me, hey, number two, right? Uh, And then uh, that's kind of been a little ways away. now he calls me Silver Fox because he thinks I have too much gray hair. But at least I have hair, Reuben. All right? So, um, (laughs) but, but but Joe, back to Joe in the Bible. Joe's nickname was Barnabas, son of encouragement. That's what they called him. That's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement. Anybody heard of Barnabas? Oh, now we've heard of him. You've heard of his nickname. It's something he was known for. It's the, what the apostles called him. They didn't even call him by his name. They're like, hey, it's the son of encouragement. We should be calling John Barnabas. Let's just do that today. You know, just mess. He's not here right now? Perfect. Let's just mess with him after. Say, hey, Barnabas. It's, it was this thing of he's such an encourager. You know, when, when Saul of Tarsus became a follower of Jesus, the guy who was trying to slaughter the church becomes a Jesus follower. He goes to Jerusalem to meet with the disciples. and They don't want anything to do with him. Like, no, no, we're scared of that guy. Until Barnabas goes and says, hey, hey, Paul, changes his name was Paul. He said, hey, Paul, you know what? Let me go with you. Let me go with you. You know what? You're kind of on here, but let me come alongside you. And he introduces him to the disciples. When, when the disciples needed money for stuff they were doing in Jerusalem, Barnabas is like, hey, I got extra property. I'll sell it and you can have all the money. He's like, I, I'm, I'm in. I'll help in any way I can. When Paul, after he started preaching, the people in Jerusalem want to murder him. So Paul flees. They're like, hey, <laughs> We don't want you to die here. Just go back home to where you came from. So Paul goes to Tarsus alone. You know what happens? Not Peter, not James, not John, not any of the 12. It's Barnabas who says, it. Says he goes and looks for Saul. Goes to Tarsus and says, hey, Saul, how you doing? Still alive? Good. You know, God's not done with you. Come on, we gotta go do some work together. And they go to Antioch. Well, Paul and Barnabas are sent from Antioch on a missions trip and he calls John Mark. He's like, that's his cousin. He says, John Mark, come on this missions trip. And they go on the missions trip together. Well, halfway through, John Mark says, I can't do this. And he goes home. And so Paul and and Barnabas finish the trip. They come home and they're going to go on a second trip. And Barnabas is like, hey, let's give give John Mark a second chance. He's like, we do second chances. And Paul's like, nope. No, John Mark. He's not coming. He's useless. He left us. Leave him. And Barnabas is like, no, we're going to take him. Paul's like, no, we are not. If John Mark doesn't go, then I'm not going. Fine. You're not going. Silas, we're going. And Paul and Silas take off. Leave Barnabas right there. What does Barnabas do? Barnabas gets John Mark and says, Hey, they left without us, but let's go. Let's go on a missions trip together. You know what's really powerful? Paul later on in life, the same Paul who said, That guy's useless. Paul later writes to Timothy and says, Tim, it's the end of my life. He's like, I need you to bring me some stuff. Bring me my scrolls. Bring me my jacket. And hey, you know what? Go find John Mark and bring him too, because that guy's super useful to me in my ministry. What happened? Something happened from this time. Barnabas encouraged him, gave him second chances till John Mark becomes this incredibly useful person in the ministry. Well, you know, Barnabas didn't write anything that we have on record. But guess who did? John Mark. The Gospel of Mark that you read in your Bible, it's John Mark who wrote that. Why is that here? Because there was a Barnabas. There was somebody encouraging him, saying, hey, don't give up. We haven't given up on you. Don't give up. Encouragement. It's a a powerful thing. It's what he was known for. What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? Encouragement's a choice. And third, encouragement's a command. Jesus' greatest command to us was what? You know his greatest command? Love. Love one another. Love one another. You know, when, uh, with encouragement, it's, just such a, it's, a, it's a great expression of love. Love's not like I feel like something. It's like I'm going to do something. You know, when someone's down the dumps, it's so easy to say, eh, <laughs> don't want to hear your complaints. You got yourself in that mess, you get yourself out. A whole other thing to say, hey, <laughs> I feel for you, man. You know, yeah, you got yourself in this mess, but you, know, you don't have to get yourself out. And you reach down a hand and say, hey, let me walk with you. Hey, let me, let, let me, let me listen, just tell me. Let me encourage you. Let me keep pointing you, to, to, the, to, you know, to, the, to the way out of this. You know, the New Testament writers all throughout encourage us to, to uh, be encouragers in many different ways. Uh, just a number of them, Romans 1, Paul said, hey, encourage one another in your faith. You know, this faith journey is sometimes difficult just to keep walking. You know, encourage one another um, in your faith journey. Hebrews 10, 25 says, keep meeting together. Keep doing this thing where you get together and encourage one another when you're there. Thessalonians, they were going through so much difficult stuff. In 14 verses, he tells them three different times, encourage one another with these words. The words that God's given you, encourage one another with them. Encourage each other, build each other up. Encourage the ones who are scared, the ones who are fainting of heart because the persecution is heavy. Encourage them. I saw the sign on the way to Brantford this week. It says this, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. It's very true. candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. In fact, the opposite is often true. You know, when you take time to encourage someone else, it affects them, but it also affects you. It actually brings a joy in your life. Proverbs 11, verse 25 says this, the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If we would choose to encourage others, it's amazing the encouragement that it brings in your own life. And the last thought is this, it's powerful, it's a choice, it's a command, and you need to learn to encourage yourself. It's tough sometimes to give to others what you don't have right here. It's tough to give others encouragement when you feel like just as low as them. And the reason why we say encourage yourself is sometimes you're going to be the only one around you to encourage you when you need help. When you need encouragement, it's, it's like this thing of, I, I just got to get my mind focused on the right things. And for some of you think, this sounds an awful lot like Tony Robbins, you know, that positive thinking stuff. Well, it does. But he was close, but he missed one very, very important point. He never came up with this. God did. But he said, you know, this is, this is the thought. Abraham Lincoln, uh, when he was assassinated, they went through his pockets and he carried something around in his a bunch of things but one of the things he carried around in his pockets was was a little newspaper clipping it was written by someone else it was a number of years old at the time and it says this he said the the clipping said this they wrote about him we see his presidency as an honest endeavor to faithfully do the work of his great office and in the doing of it a brightness of personal honor on which no adversary has yet been able to fix a stain man what if that was said about you we see his presidency as an honest endeavor to faithfully do the work of his great office and in the doing of it, a brightness of personal honor on which no adversary has yet been able to fix a stain. He'd walk around and when things were tough, pulling out that paper, remind himself, hey, they're, they're angry at me. They don't think very much of me, but this guy did. And he'd remind himself of who he was. You know how it's pretty powerful to carry the words of someone else around with you that remind you, hey, you're amazing. I don't feel so good today. Let me listen to my messages. Has anybody told you yet today that you're amazing? (laughs) Yeah, I'm amazing. (laughs) I feel a whole lot better already. It's powerful, but it's lacking. Because, you know, the New Testament writers, they encourage us not to think about, you know, how others make, say, you know, how amazing you are, but how powerful would it be to take around what God thinks about you, to take the words of what God thinks about you around with you, the authors in the Bible, they didn't turn our, their focus onto to themselves. Moses was like, listen, you guys are out there. You're, he said, I'm not telling you you're awesome, but uh, hey, here's a staff. You're in a battle, but God is with you. Don't forget that he is with you. David, when he was completely depressed, it says in, in uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed. He was greatly discouraged. The people spoke of stoning him. His friends want to kill him. And he says, the soul of his people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened, or David encouraged. David built himself up, and the Lord is God. Not in like, hey, David, you did you killed a lion and a bear, David. You killed Goliath. You're off. No. He said, God, this is awful, but you are with me. Psalm 43, the psalmist, Korah, the sons of Korah wrote often the, these words, why so downcast, oh my soul? Why am I discouraged? You know, I'm going to and sometimes we've got to have those conversations with ourselves. When you're down in the dump saying, hey, why so downcast? Soul, why are you so discouraged? And, and he begins to say this, I'm going to put my hope in God. Again, turning the focus to say, I've got to get my eyes up on him again. I'm not in this alone. Paul wrote to the Philippians in the New Testament. And he describes them in chapter 1 that they are in like the throes of struggle. They're in the most difficult things of uh, suffering. But he says in chapter two, he says, "You know what? You guys going through a tough time, and maybe we can ask you that question. You going through a tough time? You know somebody going through a tough time?" He begins asking these questions. He says, "Hey, I know it's tough, but is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any encouragement from being a belonging to Christ?" And people are like, "Yeah, yeah." He says, "Is there any comfort in his? Uh, is there any comfort in his love?" And they're like, "Yeah." Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? And you start looking around, you're like, yeah, I'm not in this alone. You know, is, are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's like, yeah, yes, yes, there are still things that get their eyes up. And he reminds them, he says, hey, these things that you're reading, these, these scriptures, these things we talked about today, they were written to teach us. Last, last verse, Romans 15. Such things, the stories, of, the stories of Moses, the stories of David, all those stories, they were written to teach us. They were written to teach us, to remind us. The scriptures give us hope. You know, some people are like, well, you know I don't read my Bible. I don't know why I should. Do you know what? These stories, these, the things, the truth of, they were meant to give you hope. They were meant to give you um, courage. And it says, and God himself gives patient encouragement. He'll help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting of followers of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you is that you, you know, to be an encourager to one another, But to find your encouragement in Christ as well. And here's some of the thoughts. Here's what God thinks about you. Right here. Do we have that slide? This is what God thinks. This is what God thinks about you. Don't miss this point. I know. I know it was a little don't miss this. This is the most important part of this morning. Here's what he thinks about you. Some of you wonder, what does God think about me? I'm not really good. I don't I don't know. He's like, you know what? Here's what I think about you. You're forgiven. When you think that there's all kinds of black marks on you. The cross says you're forgiven. You're complete in Christ. You're his temple means where you are, he is. In the depths of darkness, he's right there. God's child, not only his child, but he says you're my friend. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a new creation. You're bought with an incredible price. You are a disciple. You are accepted. You are secure. You are significant. I want to leave that up there. And you're like, where do I find all that? You can find it all on this side. We'll put it on our website as well. Would you just go and remind yourself? Man, it's hard to be depressed when you start thinking, (laughs) this is what God thinks of me. And would you just remind yourself that Holy Spirit, just asking Him to fill you, He's the, the great encourager. So, in closing, here's the thought Who around you needs encouragement? Maybe it's you this morning, but who around you needs encouragement? Maybe it's your spouse. You know maybe they, they need to hear those words again of just uh, of encouragement maybe it's your children you know it's like you're frustrated with them but maybe they need to be encouraged more maybe it's your parents i don't know if you kids realize how, how big of a job it is to parent maybe you just got to say it one of these times hey thank you mom thank you dad you're doing a great job you know maybe it's uh, your friends maybe it's your coworkers maybe it's a stranger He's like, ah, he's just going every day with this thought of maybe there'll be somebody that I can encourage. Here's here's a a last quote. Encouragement from any source is like a drop of rain upon a parched desert. It doesn't matter where it comes from. That drop of rain is like, oh, it helps to get people to look up. We can put that last uh, slide up there again. There's many ways to encourage other people. Lots of ways. You lend a hand. You know, you can give them a gift. You can say a, a word. You can simply listen to them. You can just show you care or you can just smile what happens? I know. See a smile and return. And you feel better already. Just like that. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. But so often and I just want to go back to where we started. That so often the, the voice in our heads is please don't encourage him. Please don't encourage her. The enemy is always there. You know, just 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 do your own life. Don't please don't please don't stop to consider someone else. Please don't reach out to help them some, someone else. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take effort. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. And you know, my challenge for you, which I think Holy Spirit puts in each of our hearts, is this. Please don't stop encouraging one another. Please don't stop taking time to encourage one another. Please don't stop smiling. Please don't stop lending a hand. Please don't stop reaching out. Because encouragement is powerful. It's powerful. It's a choice that you can choose. It's life-changing. Would you be an encourager? Many of you are so great at that. Would you choose to to encourage one another. And the last thought is this, for those who are here and not Jesus followers, this is really meant for Jesus followers to encourage Jesus followers. That's what he said, encourage one another. But the last thought is this, maybe for you you're here and thinking, you know, wow, I feel better. You know, they encourage me this and and for some you think, oh, if I could just think, you know, better about who I am, if I could just have a better outlook on on myself. And you're you know, you kind of always looking inward to satisfy this emptiness or this longing, you'll never do it. You never will. There's an emptiness there, that, uh, and there, and there's a craving for this encouragement. But God put it there, that you'd reach out to him. He sent his son to die for you. You wonder, what does God think about me? He's for you. If he would do this, he's for you. And he loves you. And he's calling out to you today, say, you know what? I just abandoned my way of doing things. I mess things up. God, if you love me enough to give me another second chance, I'll take it. I'll take it. And it's amazing what can happen, the, the life that can be lived differently as a result of that. So I encourage you this morning, if, you've, if that brings up questions in your life, talk to somebody. Ask them, can you tell me more about Jesus? Can you tell me more about what it is to be, really be a Christian? We'd love to, love to have that conversation with you. And for the rest, i leave you with, go out and be an encouragement. You know what? Penny, good job. High fives. Your smile just lit up this room. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that it's life-changing even over all these years. Pray this uh, as we leave this place. We, we're fully aware that we do not leave you here, but that you're with us, that your encouragement would be strong in us, and that we would reach out to others uh, around us, and that they would see and know you. It's in your amazing and wonderful name that we live today. Amen.